All right, let's turn again to Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience in your walk with the Lord? Perhaps a special meeting at church or a conference or a retreat, a retreat that you attended? Or when the Lord worked in your life in a peculiar or unusual way? Uh-huh. How about now? Okay. I guess I turned it off. All right. Well, one of those times for me was uh, summer camp at a Christian camp. And uh, you spent a whole week there. You had a quiet time you were required to have. You had uh, probably three messages every day from a uh, person who was uh, good at speaking to young people. And, of course, you had a whole lot of youth-related activities. So by the end of the week, you were uh, ready to go back to uh, school and be a super witness for Christ. Uh, But then when school starts, things uh, go back to normal, and you kind of uh, drift back into things that aren't all that great, and you might become an incognito Christian before too long. Well, last week, we observed a real mountaintop experience of the disciples. They witnessed a transformation of Christ, that revealed his true glory. They heard him speak with two of Israel's greatest prophets, Moses and Elijah. And how their spirits must have been lifted as they experienced that. But when they return back from the Mount of Transfiguration, they descend into the Valley of Consternation. The nine disciples who stayed behind find themselves in a position of impotence when they try to cast out a demon from a boy. And once Jesus understands the situation, he's deeply grieved and he cries out, Oh, faithless generation, and responds to the different levels of unbelief demonstrated in those circumstances. In the words of G. Campbell Morgan, he came upon disputing scribes, a distraught father, a demonized boy, and defeated disciples. No wonder Jesus was severely disappointed, almost to the point of exasperation. We find the source of the disciples' failure was a lack of faith or deficient faith. And this caused the scribes to dispute with them, the father of the boy to lose confidence in them, and prevented them from casting out this demon. Deficient faith adversely affects ministry. Faith is fully depending upon God, not only to save us, but to sanctify us and empower us for service. We cannot successfully grow spiritually, help others to come to know Christ, or exercise our gifts of service without consistent dependence upon God. And although this incident is another demonstration of Christ's power over demons, it is more a learning experience for the disciples. It shows them the adverse effects of deficient faith as well as the positive effects of Christ-like faith. So it's a learning experience for us as well as it was for them. Our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning as we look into this passage of Scripture, you'll help us to realize that Uh, We can really do nothing without your strength and your power. 
And we need to put our faith, our full dependence upon what you can do in us and through us and for us. Help us, Lord, uh, to realize that being a Christian doesn't automatically mean you're going to do everything right. You're going to uh, uh, serve to 100% every day uh, if we don't put our faith and trust in you to help us. And we just pray, Lord, that you'll bless us as we look to your word today and help us not to be deficient in our faith, but to be like Christ in our faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, the first thing I want you to look at today as we study this passage is the adverse effects of deficient faith. Now, the source of the disciples' inability centers on that one thing, their faith, or we should say their lack of it. Now, that's the underlying problem here that gathers this crowd together, this commotion, this the inability of Christ's disciples to cast out a demon that was brought to them. This father brings his son originally to Jesus for help, but Jesus is not there. He's on the mount with the other three disciples. So he asked the disciples to cast out the spirit, assuming that they could help him because they have done this before. And the key statement is really found in verse 18 as he comes to them and he explains to, uh, to the Lord Jesus uh, what went on. He spoke to his disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. They could not. Why is it they were unable to cast out that demon? Well, the response of Jesus tells us it was because of deficient faith. He responds, O faithless generation. He's speaking to everybody there, I think, including those disciples Uh, In Matthew's account, he adds something to the response of Jesus when the disciples come and ask them why they couldn't do this. Matthew quotes Jesus saying, because of your unbelief. That was the major problem here. And our acts of service to the Lord are rendered powerless if we're not fully trusting in him to help us. He alone empowers us for successful service. Jesus said, he that abides in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The Apostle Paul later wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not myself. So we'll deal with this a little bit later, but we need to understand that the underlying problem here is the disciples' deficient faith uh, that, that renders them uh, insufficient to perform something in service that they should have been able to do. They, uh, they are powerless in that situation. So let's observe then some of the effects of deficient faith from this passage. First of all, as we look at verse 14, they come down from the mountain. Jesus comes to the disciples that remained there, and he sees a great multitude around them, and these scribes are disputing, arguing, questioning with those nine disciples. So uh, the verb to dispute here or to question is a verb that's often associated with the scribes, and it can connote kind of like a hostile sense. 
and, and they're always negatively questioning. Now, what do you think they were questioning? What do you think the argument was about? Well, in the context, no doubt, it's about this issue of why they can't cast out demons. And the disciples are probably puzzled as to why they cannot exercise this demon since they've been able to do so previously when Jesus sent them out. They would certainly be in a disadvantaged position because of their failure, and perhaps the scribes uh, hone in on this. The scribes would have a good reason now to reprove them, even mock them, because they know their master's able to do this, They've probably heard about the fact that the disciples have been able to do this as well. So this is going to support their unbelief, their skepticism toward their master, the Lord Jesus. This reminds us that we're under the scrutiny of other people. Sometimes people who don't care about religion at all, sometimes people who may. But if someone knows our profession that we say that we are a Christian, they probably have some kind of an expectation of, of the way a Christian ought to live. They would expect us to do certain things, to not do certain things, uh, to be uh, living according to our profession. And if how we live and serve do not meet up to these legitimate expectations, it may give them reason to continue in their unbelief and their um, skeptical uh, attitudes toward Christianity. The power of active faith must be consistent in our lives to best reach the loss and ref- not reflect poorly on the Lord Jesus whom we serve. When we fail to serve or live up to the standards of Christ, we cannot positively influence the lost. Now, the second thing we see here is that deficient faith diminishes our power in ministry. When this man asked the disciples to free his boy from demonic power, they could not help him. Their lack of faith in the situation enabled a satanic power to continue to wreck and ruin the life of this young person. And this evil brought great harm to him. It caused him to be deaf and dumb. He could not hear, he could not speak. He was physically disabled uh, because of the power of that spirit. Furthermore, when it presented, it was uh, symptoms that were similar to an epileptic seizure. The boy, uh, when he was seized, would be kind of thrown down to the ground. He would go into convulsions. He would foam at the mouth. He would gnash his teeth. And it left him in a rigid state or a totally exhausted, incapacitated state when that seizure left him. And again, it wasn't malfunctioning brain issues. It wasn't a physical issue. It was caused by this demon. Now, folks, if you've never witnessed something like this, it can be quite scary, uh, especially if you don't know what's happening. I remember years ago, I went to a ball game at another school with my father and uh, witnessed a girl having a seizure. And she fell down on the ground and she began to quake uncontrollably. I remember my father took his wallet out of his pocket and went over to her and put it in her mouth so she wouldn't bite her tongue. 
And then he just stayed there and kept people away from her until it was over. But I'd never seen something like that. It was just kind of strange and, and scary. Uh, and, and imagine having this happen all the time to one of your children. But in this situation, this boy's condition, uh, not being physical, being spiritual nature, it made it far worse. And this spirit even tried to destroy him, trying to throw him into a body of water or try to uh, uh, throw him onto fire. And folks, this teaches us that Satan has no pity for anybody, not even children. And this uh, poor child was left in misery because the disciples had no power to change anything, to free him from that spirit. They couldn't cast out that, that evil being controlling him. In our world today, we in the United States may not see so much outright demon possession, but you know what? We're getting close. You know, this weekend, up in Boston, a satanic group is holding a conference. Over 800 people are in attendance. And one of their tenets is this. They believe in abortion, and they want to have the right to conduct an abortion in their religious services. That's where we're coming to in the United States. Now, there's not a whole lot of people in groups like that, but some of our high schools are having groups of that nature able to meet in our high schools. The devil's behind this kind of thing. The devil's behind abortion today. The mindless idea that an unborn baby is not human unless you want to have that baby. It goes all the way back to the worship of Moloch in the Old Testament times. People are under the power of the evil one when they shoot up a Christian school, when they go into a local store, or they attack police officers. Don't you think the devil's behind that? And perhaps even the person who's doing it is possessed. Satan's behind the twisted thinking of the LGBTQ plus movement. It's all due to a lack of belief in God, a rejection of truth and moral wholesomeness. And we must depend upon the Lord to help us uh, defeat these satanic influences in the world. And the best way that we do that is by spreading the gospel of the Lord Jesus here and abroad. Yes, we can try to legislate morality, but that does not change a person's soul. It takes great faith to believe that the Lord can work through us to reach people in these dark days of demonic influence. And we have to have uh, trust and dependence on God to help us do that because we certainly cannot do it on our own. The third thing we see here is that deficient faith deeply grieves the Lord Jesus. We see that in his response here in verse 19 when he hears about the inability of his disciples. O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And then he says, bring him to me. So this is expressing here the frustration 
of Christ, his consternation with this constant battle he's having with the people of his day to believe in him and what he can do. Now again, who is he addressing? Who is he talking to? Well, I think he's speaking really to everybody who's there in some way, including those failed disciples. They believed in him, but they were struggling. They wanted to help this man and his son, but they were not able to, and they really couldn't figure out why. Uh, And it bothered them so much that later on they asked Jesus, well, why couldn't we do this? So they still have a lot to learn about what faith is and what trust and dependence upon the Lord is all about. But then he uses this term generation again, which alludes to a whole group characterized by the same uh, features. And Jesus used this term previously when the scribes were seeking a sign from him. Now, those people were willfully skeptical and unbelieving. Later on, some of them will turn to Christ, but not right now. There's not too many that are on his side. The crowd, when Jesus came, well, they were glad to see him. They ran to him. He came at the opportune moment. But we we have found and will continue to find that the crowd also is fickle. By the time Jesus raised from the dead, there's only 120 disciples meeting in the upper room. Where's everybody else? Well, they were screaming for his blood not long ago. And uh, the father, he comes and he uh, seeks the help of the Lord Jesus, but we're going to see that his faith is floundering as well. And the Lord's rhetorical questions here reveal his wonder at how long he has to put up with this generation of faithlessness on all of these fronts. And it shows us that when our faith fails, when we're not living in complete dependence on what he can do, it deeply grieves him. Now, the last thing we're going to look uh, at as far as this deficient faith is that it adversely affects the faith of others. Now, this relates to the expectation of that father. When he finds out Jesus is not present, well, obviously he goes to the disciples who are there. And uh, you'll remember that when Jesus commissioned them to go out and, and preach, one of the things he gave them authority to do was have power to cast out demons. And back in chapter 6, verse 13, as they go out, they they are able to do this. So previously in the past, they had been able to cast out demons. But we find this situation is different. They can't do it. They're powerless. And we know again it's connected to their, their weakness of faith. So now the father, seeing that they are helpless seems to be unsure that Jesus can help him either. Because down in verse um, uh, 22, or uh, 21 rather, Jesus asked him how long this has been going on. And then in verse 22, when he responds, he says to Jesus, but if you can do anything, and there's that word if, That's showing us some doubt. 
that he's not sure that what Jesus is able to do is going to be any different than what the disciples were unable to do. So because they could not serve in the fullness of faith and they didn't get any result from what they tried to do, that created some doubt in his mind even when he went to the Lord Jesus, their master. And we all know how our actions can affect others in a good way or a bad way. And if we fail to walk in the power of of faith, if we fail to be trusting the Lord and depending on him, that may cause others to have the same kind of attitude. We cannot act in a way that negatively affects someone else's faith and what Christ can do. And I can think of something that somewhat relates to this idea. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, summer camp experiences. And uh, one year when I was in college, I wasn't going to go to camp. I probably didn't really have a reason. But as time went by, I changed my mind and I ended up going. And I was a counselor that year. Well, a number of years later, I learned that a cousin of mine was going to follow my lead. And if uh, I went to camp, he would go. If I didn't go, he wouldn't go. Well, I went, he went, and he was saved. So again, when we're making decisions, perhaps not based upon what the Lord's will is, depending on his guidance and direction, we can adversely affect somebody, or when we're doing what he would want us to do, we are encouraging them to do the right thing as well. Now, let's see what sufficient faith is like, Christ-like faith. We've seen how deficient faith can affect things in a negative way and affect ministry in a negative way. So let's see now what Christ does that shows us the effects of Christ-like faith. Now, the Lord Jesus always operates on this principle of complete dependence upon God the Father as he ministered during his uh, uh, three or so years on earth. Uh, in ministry. He never failed to cast out a demon, to heal a person who was in need, to teach the truth about who he was, or to complete the mission that God gave him to do. What he does in this story is an example of faith empowering ministry. So let's take a look at uh, what Jesus does. First of all, Christ-like faith stimulates the faith of others doesn't tear it down. Uh, it doesn't cause it to doubt. It stimulates it. We see this in verses 21 to 24. Now again, uh, in his discourse with the father of the demonized boy, Jesus helps him to increase his faith. And he takes the situation in hand. In verse 19, Jesus says, bring him to me. Bring this boy who's suffering to me. And when the Spirit sees him, verse 20, uh, when he, the Spirit, saw him, immediately the Spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So I think that that demon knows what's going to happen. He's going to do as much damage as he can before it does happen. 
because the demons were more aware of the personality of Jesus and who he was than the people were. And Jesus, seeing this, then asked the father, well, how long has this afflicted the child? And he says, from childhood, very young, like perhaps toddler age. Now he's a, an older boy, probably a young teenager. So this has been going on for 10, 12 years in this boy's life, and who knows how often it's happening. Uh, more than once is, is too much. So this kind of adds some pathos to the story. Jesus always is interested in people. So imagine the distress and the sorrow of the family and the mental state of this young man as he's had to experience this his whole life up to this point. One wonders if perhaps he could have been thinking about committing suicide. Who knows? But I'm certain that he was not happy, and neither was his family. So the father then pleads with Jesus at the end of verse 22. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now in that second phrase, help us is last, but in the Greek it's actually first. So Jesus is uh, asked to help based upon his compassion, his mercy. Help us through your compassion for your mercy. And we know that this is a characteristic of Jesus. He does have mercy on people. And uh, the distress that they're going through. But here's the problem. As he asks Jesus of this, he begins that request with that little teeny word, if. He doesn't say, I know you can help us, or just please help us. That if suggests his doubt, uh, that he's not sure that Jesus is able to do any more than the disciples did. And this is what Jesus focuses on in his response. Look at verse 23. Jesus said to him, if you can. Now the word believe there is probably not the original text. What Jesus is doing is he's repeating the words of the Father who says, if you can. And Jesus comes back and he says, if you can, exclamation mark, or if you can, question mark. He's focusing on that doubt of the Father. And then he says, if you can, well, all things are possible to him who believes. It's not a question of if I can do it. It's a question if you believe I can do it. It's your faith that I can respond to. And uh, that's what he's trying to get this father to see. He's going to respond to a person's faith because he is able to do anything. Of course, that's qualified by the will of God. All things are possible in the will of God for those who believe, for those who cast their faith upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And certainly casting out demons is one of those things. So what does this do? This brings out a response on the part of the Father as he cries out and he's in tears saying, I do believe, but help my unbelief. 
So again, he realizes that his faith is weak, that he may need to increase his faith. He, he may need to depend more on what Jesus is going to do than, than where he is currently at. And the Lord is always going to respond to faith no matter what level it is on. And someone wrote, he declares that he believes and yet acknowledges himself to have unbelief. These two statements may appear to contradict each other, but there is none of us that does not experience both of them in himself. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because my belief is probably not where it ought to be. So instead of adversely affecting this man's faith, Jesus draws it out and he increases it. And that's what we ought to be doing in our ministry. Now, secondly, we see here that Christ-like faith vanquishes demonic power. Christ is able to do what the disciples were not able to do. He vanquishes demonic power. So upon hearing the confession of the Father, Jesus then rebukes the spirit, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him. And furthermore, don't enter him again. So this is a permanent situation. And unfortunately, well, that spirit screams. The idea of crying out here is kind of like screeching or, or shrieking. He again throws the boy into a convulsive fit. And when he finally comes out, he's so still, he's so quiet, everybody thinks he's died. Well, the wording here is similar to the raising of Jairus' daughter who did die and who was raised again. We're told here that Jesus reaches out his hand and he lifts him up and he arose. So once again, the power of Satan is, de is defeated there and it's, it's almost like he was raised up from the dead. It's very similar to uh, that other story. But in a sense, when you think about it, this poor boy was dead in the clutches of demonic power, and he actually looked dead when this was finally released. And he had no control or power to resist the attacks of Satan upon him. And so this is kind of a picture of those who are without Christ, under the power of the flesh and the devil and the world, and the Lord's the only one who can get them out of that condition. And he raises us up in a newness of life. And again, faith is involved in all that as well. And a person who is raised up to that newness of life is no longer under that power or, or that authority. He's under the new authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the last thing that we see here is in verses 28 and 29. And we see that Christ-like faith includes prayer to empower us for ministry. Now, when all this is over, <clears throat> verse 28 says, they go into a house. And while they're there, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we do it? Why couldn't we cast out this demon? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Matthew says in Matthew 17, verse 20, well, it's because of your unbelief. 
their faith was deficient. And he illustrated by saying, uh, if their faith was just the size of a mustard seed, they could move mountains. That's back in Matthew's account. And for some reason, they were not depending on the Lord in this situation. Perhaps they were thinking that since the Lord had given them authority already to cast out demons, well, it was just going to be automatic. That it wasn't necessary to, to ask him for continued power. And they could rely on that authority given them rather than the person who gave it to them in the first place. So they really didn't need to call upon the Lord uh, anymore to strengthen them. Well, one commentator said the disciples needed to understand that their ministry was not an automatic exercise of giftedness. They needed to depend on the Father, looking to him in prayer and relying on his presence and power. Their failure was not in their giftedness, but in how they used their gifts. And the same is true of us. When we come to serve the Lord do we ask for his strength, for his power, for his wisdom to help us serve successfully? Or do we just depend upon, you know, what we've always been doing and that's sufficient? Well, the Lord tells them, well, in, in, in this situation, that this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. And uh, some manuscripts do not include the word fasting there. They emphasize the prayer. And, uh, and prayer and faith go together. We find this throughout Scripture. That your faith is bolstered by your prayer. And prayer is the result of faith. And so when you uh, come to minister to the Lord, when you're serving him, you're depending upon him, and prayer is a, uh, a proof of that dependence. We're calling upon him to help us to exercise his power through us. And so our faith is bolstered by that depending on God as we pray for his strength. Well, we've made some applications throughout our study this morning, but let's close with some other th some thoughts here. <clears throat> First of all, we've mentioned that deficient faith hinders our ministry. So do you believe that God can use you to serve, to minister? And how are you going to get the strength and the power to do that? What are you going to depend upon? Does your lack of faith or your disinterest in faith uh, hinder your ministry, hinder your personal growth? Is it hindering our church in some way? And then, does our faith vanquish the power of Satan? Not only in our life and our ministry, but to people that we might be trying to reach who are still under his power to a certain extent. In your own life, do you resist the devil and trust God to deliver you in times of temptation? Do you follow the Lord's lead in trying to reach people who are lost and under the dominion of Satan? 
What about encouraging others in the faith? Sometimes we can be overwhelmed with circumstances and difficulties and feel kind of defeated and depressed. Do we call upon others to pray for us? When we know somebody else is going through a difficult time, do we pray for them? Do we try to bolster their faith knowing that they're going through a difficult time? Do we tell them we're praying for them? And then you may find yourself sometimes in a situation or circumstance that you think is impossible, that you don't see how God's going to work through it. Are you calling upon the Lord to help you increase your faith? And again, praying for others who may be feeling the same way about something going on in their life. Are you praying that your trust in him will grow in that situation rather than be diminished? Well, may the Lord help us to become more like Christ in our faith that we may better serve him. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that you will bless our hearts with these thoughts as we see that uh, many times we're like the, uh, the, the apostles were. Uh, we're weak in faith. We take things for granted. We think our service is automatic. And Lord, we just kind of slip away and, and realize, don't realize even that our, our power has been diminished. So help us, Lord, to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> who encouraged others in their walk of faith, who built them up in times of doubt, who was able to vanquish the power of Satan. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would be used of you in ministry and reaching others for the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to pray for each other. Help us to depend upon the Lord for the needs that we have to be met. And Lord, to serve you successfully. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.